Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Hi, I'm Rishi Patel, and I'm the practice lead for policy communications here at Global Council. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about inflation, price rises, and the cost of living. And this comes as the Bank of England is quietly warning that we may be returning to a period of higher inflation for the first time in many years. And it also comes at an inflection point for policymakers and businesses, with the price of some goods increasing following ongoing supply chain issues, and also a busy political period right now with taxation announcements in the UK and ahead with the upcoming spending review. To examine this issue, Global Council commissioned new polling by research company Savanta Comres, which looks at public attitudes to inflation and price rises. And I'm joined by Stephen Adams, the Senior Director at Global Council, and Rebecca Park, Senior Practice Lead at Global Council, to discuss our findings and the political, policy, and business implications that flow from it. So Stephen, in the research, uh, we found that 50% of adults believe that the current rate of inflation in the UK is above 10%. Now, that's a fairly startling revelation. So why do you think such a large proportion of the public think the rate is so high? Well, it's, it's startling in some ways, um, but I think to start to make sense of it, we, we need to drill a little bit down into what we mean when we ask people what their sense of inflation, or of course, price rises is what they typically take us to mean quite rightly when we talk about inflation, what, that, what it actually means to ask that, that question to a person. Because most of the time when we talk about inflation, uh, we are in fact talking about a, a statistical measure uh, that's generated as an average by the Bank of England or some equivalent actor. Um, and uh, that, that, of course, is only really one way of thinking about the way prices behave in the economy. And for most ordinary people, they don't experience inflation as such, but they probably do experience inflations if you see what I mean. So they will experience rising prices in some parts of their life, whether it's in the supermarket or in the housing market, um, or if they go to a uh, builder because they want to get a new conservatory built and they're told that the, uh, the, the wood is going to cost twice what it cost last year. So while in some ways it's striking that the understanding of what inflation is is relatively poor, that that poor understanding can produce some quite serious overestimates of the actual level of average price inflation in the British economy. If you've tried to buy a house in the last year, you will have understood at some level that house price inflation in the UK is 8.59%. If you've spoken to a builder or a builder's merchant, uh, you'll come away with the impression that prices for many of those key goods have risen by um, 50, 100%. Um, So I think there are ways in which we can understand that at some level, your sense of what's happening to prices in the economy is going to depend on what you buy, where you buy it from, how much flexibility you have around the buying decision. And for some, for that reason, you can understand why in some cases, consumers may come away with the impression, in fact, that prices are, price rises are much higher than 2%. I think, you know, this, 
there's also an interesting um, demographic um, trend here and, and Becca, it would be useful to hear from you now, I think. Young people have a slightly worse understanding of, 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 of this than, than, than older people, you know, our, our, our research found. Do you think that there is more that needs to be done here in terms of educating the public through better financial literacy um, on these issues, as Stephen alluded to? So I think the fact that there's quite a difference between how those aged 18 to 34 think about the inflation rate and those aged 55 and over is probably first and foremost an experience issue. You know, we have a younger sort of two generations of um, consumer in the UK that have never really had to experience any form of sustained inflationary period or significant interest rate rises. So that impacts how they plan for their appetite for a mortgage, whether they go for a variable fixed rate, the terms over which they do that, but it also impacts the way they think about this issue or whether they need to think about it at all. So 63% of 18 to 34 year olds think inflation is over 20% versus just 19% of 55 year olds. And I think that's probably much more about personal experience and history than it is about financial education and literacy. I don't think we can necessarily equate the two because I think you think about them for different reasons. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to think about financial literacy and it doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking at ways to improve financial understanding in the UK. And I think actually what this points to in many respects is we should be making sure that at the point people try and take out a mortgage or remortgage, there is a moment in that conversation or that journey where actually these are questions or issues that are posed so that you think about it, because it might not be an immediate problem now. But if we do move into a more inflationary period and we do see interest rates rise on the horizon, then actually, how are we talking to consumers? How are financial institutions talking to their potential customers in order to make sure they are taking those issues and considerations into account because it's pretty clear the regulator is going to expect them to and actually it'll be the first test of this for over 20 years in terms of what the real obligations on banks and lenders are. Yeah, I think it's really important to, to stress that point that 10-15 years can be a is a long time in, in politics and it's as, as Becca says it's, it's, it's two generations of um, young potential house buyers, consumers who who haven't experienced serious price uh, inflation in uh, core inflation in the in, in the economy, um, haven't really experienced some of the kind of spikes we're seeing around supply bottlenecks either, and of course by implication there's also going to be a group of politicians who haven't necessarily had to think about the implications of these sorts of uh, the, these sorts of things. So I think um, you know the last decade we've had one big notable scare around inflation in the wake of the 2009-10 uh, stimulus packages, which because they were largely, uh, they were largely funneled onto bank balance sheets, in fact, turned out to, to not drive inflation. But in some ways, I think that might have even contributed to a slight sense of, a slight sense, in fact, that inflation was a thing of the, was a thing of the, a thing of, thing of the past when, of course, it's most definitely, or certain, certainly not necessarily uh, a thing of the past. I want to move us on a little bit more to think about what the causes are of um, inflation, or at least what the public's perception of those of those um, causes are. And I think if we look at the research that we we conducted, it was clear that the public feel has some quite strong views about the role of business in um, in. In, in all these issues. So, Becca, it would be useful to turn to you to, to talk a bit more about that. Over the last few years, we've seen kind of 
research and evidence in the political discourse that the British public are sceptical about motivations of business, whether in terms of thinking about their roles and responsibilities when it comes to public policy solutions, their roles and their support coming through the COVID pandemic and where they felt businesses needed to do more to support the economy, but also about their motivations. And I think what came strongly through the data was this idea that people think businesses are motivated increasingly by profit and actually a third of the public thought that businesses increased prices to make bigger profits and sometimes to make bigger profits and to kind of address rising costs but in 12 percent of cases just solely to make bigger profits and i think only a third of the public thought it was a balance of both issues equally and then 25 percent of the public effectively said it's mainly to cover rising costs that's why business increased prices and I think that scepticism that idea that actually there's a kind of motivation to sort of profiteer and to kind of really look at the bottom line and not think about kind of maybe if the fundamental inputs are increasing a business needs to increase its costs gives you a sense of that scepticism around kind of business motivations and how the public are thinking about that and the reason we were really keen to investigate that was actually if you start to think about how people think about business you can start to get a sense of whether they think businesses are doing the right thing or the wrong thing what their roles and responsibilities might be in fixing this and also what the sort of apportionment of blame and responsibility might be in in the sort of debate and conversation and um, one of the topics we picked up was when it comes to understanding who is responsible for addressing maybe the societal consequences of rising prices um businesses are up there with the government and the bank of england so we asked the public who's responsible across the three kind of groups and 50 percent felt that business was somewhat responsible compared to 41 percent of government being somewhat responsible and actually that when you said who's very responsible for this it was 24 percent for business and then the third thought the government was very responsible and I think that idea that actually government carries the can as much as business does starts to play into what the policy consequences of my, that might be and how we think about what conversations business needs to have. Because ultimately, this comes down to reputation. If there is a gap in expectation between what the public thinks about what you do and what the public expects you to do, that's where the reputational risk sits. And if you're thinking about how to manage that, and lots of businesses are thinking about this coming up to the end of the year, how are they going to navigate price rises what are they going to have to do in thinking about that announcement? What's the right time to do it? Actually, you need to think about the knock-on impact it has with your relationship with policymakers and, and how that might colour some of the political conversations that are ongoing as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the clear message from the, fr fr from the polling is that there, there's a very strong expectation among the public that businesses should have something of a duty to try and absorb cost rises. But the problem, of course, for many businesses at the moment is that they're, they're trying to make a calculation about whether some of the cost pressure in the system is temporary or more structural. So um, one of the things we see, of course, uh, with international supply chains at the moment is that the cost of um, moving goods from Asia to the UK, the cost of containerization, to some extent, the cost of moving goods in and out of the UK uh, as a result of some of the changes that have come with exiting from the single market. The, the, these things are pushing up the cost of importation. And the difficult call for business is where that's essentially a temporary factor uh, and where it's going to lead to actually structurally higher costs for 
trade. So on the former, uh, you know, for, 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 for containerization costs, there's good reasons why we might expect it to fall again once some of the bottlenecks in the system, whether it's the Suez Canal or the, the question of moving into empty containers back to Asia for, uh, for, for, for re-export to Europe, there's a good reason to think that that might that might work its way through the system. On the EU-UK trade routes, some of some of the new frictional costs may be a bit more structural. So businesses are trying to make that judgment, but of course, so are central banks. And in many respects, that's going to be some of the toughest calls, I think, for the next for the next year. Thanks, Stephen. I mean, you've you've painted a really interesting picture on you know what the kind of supply chain causes are for perhaps some of these price rises. Becca, it was really interesting looking at the data about whether whether some of these um, stories have, have, cut, have cut through, what is it that the people um, people are really thinking about this? I was really struck by the statistic about um, the awareness of the HGV driver um, shortage. Perhaps that's something that you could tell us a bit more about. So when asking the public about news coverage and stories they've looked at, obviously you've got two ways of doing this. You can go with a kind of recall mechanism whereby you ask them to think about those stories, which very generally come back incredibly low and you expect to see no more than maybe 20% cut through for the single biggest story of the week. So for you know this week when we're kind of talking about this now, that would be the national insurance rise. But what we wanted to do was test what people recall reading about in terms of actually are these topics or issues you've heard of, thought about, seeing in the media and sort of what their recognition of those stories was, which gives you a slightly different sort of take on, on how people are picking this up and the way they're consuming that information. And with that, we kind of found that there were sort of three or four issues that were really cutting through. The most startling of which, as you said, was around the HGV driver shortage, which was kind of picked up by 70% of the British public as a story or an issue or a topic they were aware of and they were reading about. So we did this polling during August. It was a story that was starting to kind of make its way through the written media, start to get picked up on broadcast. It wasn't as fully fledged as it is now in September, so it's likely that figure's gone up even further. But it was really interesting to see how much recognition that had got. But again, it was one of those issues where that recognition was quite different by age group. So when we looked at um, the kind of breakdown between who had picked the story up and who hadn't, um, when it came to millennials, it was a 58% recognition figure versus 80% of those over 55. Now, that could just be a sort of sort of quirk of the data and research, but because that also tracked against the other stories we were looking at, so chip shortages and some of the other kind of more supply chain risk elements, it starts to lead potentially more towards a, a media consumption element here. And I think it it's quite important to think about that from a business perspective, because it's really easy when you're thinking about your reputation strategies to manage these kind of issues, to think about briefing the business media, making sure you've covered off all the usual suspects in the city press, thinking about the political media and how that might be received by Westminster. But you also need to do think about that broader public sentiment. And if a huge cohort who are worried about inflation and this issue and have ranked it as a, an area where they're deeply skeptical about the motivations of business, aren't reading that because they consume their media through more traditional social media channels and sort of um, pushed social media channels. So it tends to be stories shared by friends and family. How do you factor that into your communications and reputation messaging? Is it a case for paid for placement? Is it a case for thinking about more organic driven content with video content that we push through on digital channels? And I think actually thinking about how you use those channels when it comes to telling traditional business stories is quite a different switch for these kind of issues compared to how we would handle it from a communications perspective <clears throat> five years or so. So it was a slightly different 
place to take the conversation with the public on inflation rather than just sticking to kind of what have you noticed in terms of rate rises and concerns but actually from a how do you think about preparing for managing some of these issues it starts to sell quite a sort of interesting story to to feed into sort of planning and strategy i mean the thing that struck me about that and this relates directly to the HGV driver's story. And maybe, you know, we move on to talk a little bit now about some of the public's prescriptions for this. Yeah. It is just exactly the, the mismatch between what the public thinks should be done about price rises and perhaps what um, many UK businesses think should be done about it. And um, in one level, I suppose, if you were in the transportation industry or the logistics industry and your strategy was uh, to ensure that your issue had broken through, our polling suggests that, something's working. The problem is that our polling also suggests that the public's preference in terms of what the government should do about the problem is quite different from that of the industry. And, and in particular, it's very striking that among the public's preferred solutions for price rises, one of their least supported is, uh, is increased immigration. Um, so I think there's an interesting challenge there in some respects for, for, for business in terms of making sure not only that the public get the message about the challenges they're facing, but that that doesn't become the point at which the public and business diverge in terms of what should be done about it. And, and crucially, Stephen, one of the most um, preferred mechanisms is more interventionist policy in the form of price caps and um, particularly in, in energy and other areas. Becca, perhaps you could talk a bit more about that and what, what the public is thinking about from, from that perspective. Yes, I think this goes to kind of the point we were touching on earlier about kind of business skepticism and also appetite, quite frankly, for public sector intervention in these markets. So price caps, as we've seen in the energy market, a third of the British public effectively are comfortable with the idea of government intervening to cap prices. Now, you'd expect that arguably in utilities and within energy, but we also saw in the data it was coming through quite strongly in retail and in financial services. Um, and then you saw this kind of at the other end of the spectrum, you saw this kind of desire not to see immigration um, caps and skills and visas changes being brought in, which, as Stephen points out, is probably the first solution that would top any business list right now in dealing with some of the supply challenges that we have in the market and the labour shortages we have in the market. And I think that mismatch between where the public is and the action they want to see and, and where business is poses a challenge for how you think about not just telling your story, but what you think the right solutions are. Because if you come to the table and start a public conversation on this and you want cut through and understanding about the, the challenges you see in the market before you make a price rise, you also need to make sure you're coming to the table with a solution that isn't just, we need the government to do this, we need the government to give us access to labour. You probably also need to explain what you're doing, whether that's training or investment or changes to your supply chain of arrangements in order to make sure that you're being viewed as playing your part. Because if you think back to the earlier data on blame, the public definitely thinks you have a role to play as a business. And so you need to make sure that that is part of the story and the narrative that you're telling. I certainly don't think there's a lot of good news for politicians in here. I mean, in, in terms of public preferences for action, um, uh, if, if you ask the public what they think should be done, um, tax cuts, uh, fairly popular, um, of course, this, this week, as, in, as any week, um, not something we would expect in the short term. Um, uh, there's also quite a lot of resistance to the idea of rate rises, uh, and, and yet that is something we will almost certainly see. Uh, in the months ahead. So, and as we say, um, businesses preferred solution to some of the short-term supply challenges around logistics, 
with respect to migration. Again, very limited public support for those. So this does look like um, a series of quite difficult choices for politicians, or at the very least, um, it's going to require explaining why some fairly unpopular things are probably necessary. Why don't we just finish with a couple of observations that, that you found that have, been, that have been particularly striking, perhaps that we've mentioned already, or that you feel like, you know, need, need restating for clients? You know, what is it when people are reading um, the slide pack or the data tables that they should really be taking? The lesson they should be taking home with them. So I'll go to Becca first. So I think the takeaway I would think about this from it's clear that we have a public perception and a set of public views around cost of living price rises that puts this firmly in the media and arguably the political mindset. And as a business, I think it's really important that you don't just look at the kind of the broader messaging coming out of the Bank of England. And yes, we might not have an interest rate rise coming next month or next quarter but that doesn't mean the concerns around inflation price rises cost of living however you want to categorize that thinking in your mind doesn't play into the political risk that we're going to see coming out over the next six months and so it's too easy to just sort of put that in the box of well I've heard Andrew Bailey's latest statement so I'm comfortable we don't need to act actually you would be missing some fairly fundamental public risk media risk political risk if you are not thinking that this government might be minded to try and address proactively some of the challenges it sees around cost of living, particularly when people are clear, they can see and identify the disruption, they can explain the disruption they're experiencing, they have a very clear sense of how that's impacting their own household income. And if the government sees that changing consumers' behaviours, they will want to act. And action from a business perspective looks highly interventionist. Um, rather than maybe some of the actions you would expect. You know, it might be that we see price gaps before we see rate rises. And how do you think about preparing for that as a business? Well, I guess there's a general observation about some of the, some of the both practical and political risks of seeing the economy through numbers. Um, the, the inflation rate, uh, a bit like GDP, is an, is an average. And we, we, we designed it and we use it because uh, we need simple... Simple, simple metrics like that. Um, we, the reason we use the, 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 the inflation data the way we do is because central banks fundamentally need to have a target for their price targeting. But I think we just do need to remember that underneath that, uh, under that single digit, um, there are, or perhaps a double digit, uh, there, there, are, there is in fact a complex landscape of price changes. And it is of course the case that even if we turn out to be uh, in a situation in which core inflation isn't actually an issue at this stage for the economy, we will still be potentially facing isolated price spikes around logistics costs, um, around, of course, I mean, the housing market, that's now a perennial problem, um, and, uh, you know, around uh, trade costs. And I just think those things, even in isolation, can, out, can turn out to be both practical problems for businesses and knotty problems for politicians. So I think we need to, we just need to bear that in mind that um, we're talking both about core inflation here, but also the complex political landscape of isolated price rises in some fairly important areas. Thanks very much, Stephen and Becca. I think we'll leave it there. So now, if you want to view the full research that we've conducted, you can find it in the link in the podcast show notes. And as always, if you, your business or your investment is exposed to any of the issues that we've touched on in the podcast, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find our contact details on the GC website or via the link in the podcast notes. Thanks very much. 
For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.